Welcome to the Christchurch London podcast. This is a talk from our central London service. To hear talks from each of our services, please visit ChristchurchLondon.org. So I'm really excited just to get to do the segue talk, uh, mainly because I proposed it to Natalie as an option um, uh, to, to share with you guys something that for me is a bit of a, yeah, I, yeah. I hope you love what I'm about to say as much as I do, not because of the words I'm going to use, but because um, the passage that we're going to look at this morning is something that God has used throughout my life um, in some really powerful and significant ways. So um, I, prior to living in London, so I've been here seven years. I was in Portland, Oregon before that. Prior to Portland, I was in Florence, Italy. I lived there for 10 years. Um, I work with a Christian charity. I work with a university student. So I went to help start our work um, at the University of Florence, relaunch it, I guess is probably the best way to say it. Um, Classic, arrived to Florence, didn't know anything about Italy nor Italian um, art. And I lived in the Renaissance capital of the world. So I had a very good education uh, year one, learning not only the language, but the culture. And um, yeah. I'd, I'd never really thought, oh, I really want to live in Italy. I just, there was an opportunity to go, to, to move overseas, to do what I was doing in a different culture. And I thought, yeah, sign me up. I'd love to do that. And I wanted to learn a second language. So, um, but when I got to Florence, completely ignorant, as I've just described, um, I, I kind of began to notice something. And I think it wasn't until my second year there that it really sunk in what what I was observing and was starting to unsettle me a little bit. Um, If you've ever been to Italy, uh, and if you've been to Florence particularly, Jesus is everywhere. I mean, everywhere. Like, streets are named after him. Uh, Every church you walk into has got some painting. There's an altar on the side of the road. Like, I went to Venice once, and there was a bridge, Christ Bridge. I mean, you cannot get away from Jesus if you tried, although many, and many people do, I think. but he's, he's like everywhere, everywhere you go, Jesus, 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 Jesus. Um, and I think what began to really unsettle me was that even though Jesus was everywhere, what I was experiencing as I talked to students on campus or met people, like my baristas at my like local cafes I frequented who are still there to this day, God bless them, I love them, it's good to go home. Um, it was like Jesus is everywhere but nowhere at the same time. It's like he was just this kind of like white noise, this ever-present nothing in the background. And it just really, really bothered me. And I think what I found so unsettling about that and what the, I I like to refer to my first two years as the launch of the Jesus revolution in my life. um, Because I think what the Lord began to show me was, this is a great danger that we face in the Christian life for those of us who who have said yes to following Jesus. I think it's a great danger that we face um, that Jesus can become kind of performative. He's the background. He's the ever-present nothing. He's there, but he's not. He's not the living, breathing reality of our lives. And I think that happens when we begin to think of Christian faith as following rules rather than following a person and spending time in the company of Jesus. Um, and, and I think what he wants is not for us to be like a, a painting on a gallery wall, static, and kind of showing who Jesus is, but to be the living reality, the breathing, the living and breathing reality of Jesus in, in the streets, in our, in our lives, learning from him, understanding his love for us, 
um, becoming more like him so that we represent him in all that we do and that we say. He wants us to be a gallery of God's transforming work in our lives. But where does that transformation start? This is what I want to talk about this morning. Where does that transformation start? So I want to take us um, to a story in the book of John. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, if you're trying to find it in your Bibles. Um, these are the, the four, call them the Gospels, um, stories about Jesus. They're the stories of Jesus' life told by people who who either knew him or who were acquaintances of people who knew him. Um, and I want to take us to a story in the book of John where I think that transformation begins to take place. Uh, that place where I think Jesus wants to challenge the priorities of our heart. And he does it through a story with his good friend, Peter. Where Jesus essentially says to Peter, who you love, Peter, is more important than what you're going to do. Because who you love is ultimate. And who you love is me. So if you have your Bibles, um, you can turn uh, to John 21. I'm going to set the context for you a little bit. So um, if you've, if you've uh, read the Gospels, you, you know this. If the, if the Bible is new to you, if the story is new to you, um, what has happened is that Jesus has, has died. He's been crucified. Then put him in a tomb. He's been raised from the dead. I mean, break the champagne out, light some fireworks. A man has risen from the dead. And the good news is everything he said about being God is true, and now he is king. He was king, but he's, yeah, in a, in a different way. Um, and so after this takes place, Jesus calls together these men who've been following him, the disciples, and he, he tells them to meet him in Galilee. Um, and so the interesting thing about John that you may know is that John was one of Jesus' best friends. So I think it's a really interesting uh, story of Jesus to read because you're reading it through the lens of someone who not only watched everything he did, but he was his best, like one of Jesus' best friends. And um, I, yeah, I just, I, I think one of the things that I love about John who writes this book, and um, we won't read the verses, but if you read the whole, all of 21, he, he describes himself as the disciple that Jesus loves, which seems a little arrogant to be fair. Um, but I, I don't think John's being cocky and being like, hey, the rest of you guys, I mean, he likes you, whatever, tolerates you somewhat. Um, me, number one. I think John is so overwhelmed. He's just overwhelmed by the fact that Jesus loves him, that God could love a person, and he loves him. And, and so in, in the book of John, he never calls himself by name. He only says, I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. And if you read the rest of the books that he wrote in the Bible, his, his constant theme is love. Like, I don't think John ever got over the fact that God loved him. And I hope this morning by the end of this, not only will your love for Jesus grow, but that you may also never get over the fact that you are people that God loves. You are the same people. It wasn't just John. It wasn't just the 12. It wasn't just the people who followed him. It's you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's calling you to love him. So they're at, they're at the Sea of Galilee, which is some translation that's called, or Tiberias. Actually, in Hebrew, it's Kenneret. So if you go to Israel, go to Kenneret. Um, and they're, they're waiting for Jesus, and so they decide to go fishing, which is what they did before they started following Jesus around. And they go fishing. And it's really interesting because they're out fishing all night, and they catch nothing. And if you've read the story, you know this is not the first time this has happened to them. This is like deja vu all over again. All night long, can't catch a fish. 
So in the morning, I'm going to just imagine this. It's dawn, right? The light's coming up. They're tired. They, can't, they haven't caught anything. And all of a sudden, there's this dude on the beach. Um, and I, I'm sure they call him the dude on the beach as well in the original language. But there's this dude on the beach, and he yells out, and he's like, hey, have you caught anything? And they're like, no, we haven't. All night we've been fishing. And he said, throw your net over the right side of the boat, which seems like a really random detail, but actually... I found out that Galilean fishermen never did that. They threw their net over the left side of the boat. So interesting detail. They throw it over the right side of the boat, and all of a sudden, this huge load of fish comes into the net. And it's like scales fall off their eyes. And, and the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's what he writes, turns to Peter, and he says, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. And they know it's the Lord because this has happened to them before. Same scenario, same situation, Jesus, big fish. And I think what I love about this, um, just even this part, is that I think in the Christian life, uh, and this is not the main point of my talk, but it's, I feel like it's significant for us, is that, isn't that like God? I feel like sometimes he just takes us back to the same places when he needs to get our attention. I feel like if we, if we stopped right now and everyone started sharing stories about what it's like to keep company with Jesus, you would have stories where God almost showed up in your life in the same way all the time. I think this is when Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. Part of that is because he shows up a lot in the same way. So we know it's him. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, this is sounding familiar. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so anyway, they catch these fish. Peter, who's absolutely insane, strips off whatever he has on and jumps into the lake and runs to the beach because there's Jesus, and he's got like a wonderful fire for them. And I will have to say this. I don't know if you should vote for a favorite disciple. That's like a kosher, like, Christian thing to do. But if I had to, I'm going to vote Peter as my number one favorite disciple. He's brilliant. He has no filter, absolutely no filter. Like, he's insane, insanely crazy about Jesus. He showed up to a prayer meeting with a sword. I mean, he's legend, absolute legend in my opinion. Like, he's just so crazy. Like, I love him. And and it gives me so much hope for my own life when I look at Peter. <laughs> so my reminder, I'm like, yes, there's a place for me also in the family of God. Because Peter's there. And he, you know, he brought a sword to a prayer meeting. And I don't know why, but I might have done it. Anyway, Peter's on the beach. As soon as he came, he's out of that boat. And he's with Jesus. And so that's where we're going to pick up our story today. So starting in verse 15, it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. This is a very deeply personal and intimate question to ask somebody. And I think John could have just stopped the story right there and kind of left that question hanging in the air. And it would have been incredibly powerful just on its own. Because here's Jesus who is God, asking a person, do you love me? Do you love me? I think it's one of the most important questions that God has ever asked any person because I think it cuts through all the surfacey things and goes straight to the heart of what matters most, Peter's affections. Simon, son of John, he says, do you love me more than these? Um, in the original language, it's not quite clear when Jesus says more than these, what more than these might be referring to. And different writers, comment, 
commentators, biblical scholars have different opinions. Like it could have been, do you love me more than the disciples? Do you love me more than you do fishing? It doesn't, it's not really clear. It's possible. The most likely is that he meant, do you love me more than you love the other disciples? But I think for me personally, I want us to focus our attention on what I think the essence of the question actually is, which is this. Simon Peter, do you love me more? Whatever that thing is that you love, do you love me more than that thing? I want to understand, Peter. I need to know if you love me. I want to know, Peter, in a world full of things that are going to distract you, where many things will rival for your attention and your affections, do you love me more than those things? It's a personal and intimate question, but it's an essential question if you follow Jesus. It was an essential question for Peter as a follower of Jesus. I think it's an essential question for us this morning to ask ourselves at the beginning of the new year. And I wonder if Jesus were to just show up and walk through those doors right now and he asked you the same question. What might you say are some of those things that you love more than him? And just to, to give you some reassurance, we all have them. You, you would not be like the only person in this room who could come up with a list of things that you might love more. We all have those things. I would say for me, personally, it's the approval of people. I am sure after this talk, I will be slightly trying to figure out how you felt about it, but not being too obvious, just so you can tell me you really liked what I had to say. Um, like, I really struggle with that as the number one place my heart goes to, to find approval and attention and, and love. And that would be the thing I feel like rivals Jesus a lot. In fact, one, one night at the height of my personal insanity on the issue of people's approval, I was kind of like down the dumps, feeling a little melancholy. And so I'd figured out that on Facebook, if you re-like pictures of yourself, it puts them back in the public feed and so everyone can re-like them with you. Um, I don't know how I figured that out, but I did. And um, so I found this picture of me that I thought was very beautiful and lovely. And so I re-liked that. And then, like, 25 people immediately started commenting, oh, my gosh, oh, so beautiful. And for about a minute, that felt incredible. And then I just thought, that's so awful. Like, I'm so pandering to people. But, like, my heart just longs for it sometimes. I want people to approve me. I really want people to like me. And if Jesus were to ask me that question, that is where I'd have to go if I wanted to be totally and brutally honest with him. But, again, here's the point. We all have those things in our lives. Not one of us doesn't. But the question Jesus is asking Peter, will you love me more? Peter, will you love me? That's the question. Verse 16, same as the first. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Looking at these two verses, I just want to ask, what has Jesus asked Peter now twice if he loves? It's very obvious. I've set it up for you so well. Him. Brilliant. What has Jesus mentioned twice but never once asked Peter if he loves? Sheep. Okay. This is very weird, okay, right? Because Peter's role from this point forward, his whole entire life, is going to be about one thing, which is feeding lambs, taking care of sheep, however you want to phrase it, however it's phrased here. That is what he is about to do forever until he goes to be with the Lord. Yet, the focus of Jesus' question never goes to that. 
He never asks him how he's, he's feeling about that. And it's not like this is a dinky role. Like, Peter is going to lead the church. He is going to be the one who ushers the church into the new age. And uh, I, I just think, okay, Jesus, there's probably a few questions maybe you could have asked him. Like, how's he feeling about that role? Or does he feel really equipped to actually, like, lead the sheep? But I think the shepherding role that Peter has has to have a source. It has to have a place that he can, he can lead from. And that place, I think, flows out of Jesus' question, which he's directing to Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Jesus' question, it's like it's taking Peter to the place he needs to go if he's about to live out what Jesus has for him. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Peter, I want you to feed my sheep and lambs. I need you to do that. This is your calling. But first, I need you to love me. I need you to love me first. In the Old Testament, God used to say it like this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because Peter needs a place to plant or actually, I would say, Jesus needs a place to plant a stake in Peter's life. It's like he's doing this and saying, Peter, if I want the trajectory of your life to go in the direction I have, you cannot miss this. You have got to put the stake in the ground here. And that stake is love for me. And that's not just true for Peter because he was leading the church. That's true for each one of us if we are following Jesus. That wasn't just his stake. That is yours, and it is also mine. Peter life as a shepherd of the church, but more importantly as a follower of Jesus, like your life and mine has to be wrapped around the person of Jesus. He has to be the center of all things. And he's setting the priority for him. Jesus is setting the priority for Peter. Um, and I think it's easy to get, get this a bit confused. It's almost like a conditional sentence. You know, Peter if this, then do this. If you love me, then feed. Not feed, only if you love me. If you love me, then feed. That is what this all flows out from. And as someone who is in full-time Christian ministry, I'm just going to say it right now, this is the greatest danger you face. And I'm going to look at you guys. That the mission becomes more important than the master. That is where we will get stuck. When Jesus becomes the thing in the background that's behind us and not the priority in our lives. When we run after the 99, but we leave our first love, and we cannot do that. He must stay first in all things, not just in full-time Christian ministry, in all of our lives. He is the first love, first of all things. It's significant who Peter has to love. It's significant for us. But it's, if you love me, then do fill in the blank. Law, opera. Costume design. Do those things, but start with him first. In verse 17, when you pick back up the story, it says this, the third time he said to, to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. Um, when I was at university, I was a speech communication major, which... I thought would be the easiest way to get out of university. I thought, what else could I study that will give me the least amount of work? 
Ha-ha, tricked, tricked, very much tricked. Um, but I had this professor, I went to his class the first day and literally left almost in tears, called my mom. I was like, I have to drop this class. This professor is like absolutely crazy and I will not be in his class. Like, he's horrible. I stuck it out. I did stick it out. And he actually became my favorite professor, ironically enough. Um, but he had this like little Jedi mind trick that he would do with us often in class where he would say, okay, the theory of communication that Suna Frank and Miller proposed on da 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 da. And then he would say, again, the theory of communication that Suna Frank and Miller proposed on da 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 da. And then he would say, I am about to say this for the third time, so you probably should be writing this down right now, right? And then he would tell you what he wanted to say. So I want to thank publicly Scott Chadwick. Shout out wherever you're at, Scott. Um, because I feel like that was very instructive in helping me to really like grasp what I think is going on, what I'm proposing is going on here in this context. Because Jesus asked Peter this question, do you love me, right? And it's not like he just asked him a question. He asked him the same question three times. Same question. Doesn't change tactic. Same question three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I think at this point there's a few other questions Jesus might want to have asked Peter. Like, for example, um, hey, Peter, not long ago I was arrested, and someone said, do you know me? And you were like, absolutely not. Don't know who that man is. Um, and here's a conflict resolution question. Can you help me understand, Peter, why you said no to that? Uh, yeah, why, why did you throw me under the bus? Or, Peter, we've been together three years now. Do you have any questions about feeding sheep and lambs? Do you want to know, like, my great skills and tactic? He doesn't ask him any of those things. Not a single one. And I think you do not ask someone the same question over and over and over again if it's not important. What's the point? What's the point of continuing the same question? There's no point in repeating it if it is not essential for him to understand. Simon, do you love me more than these? Simon, do you love me? Simon, do you love me? And you may notice that Jesus calls him Simon Peter here, Simon, not just Peter. And this is something actually Jesus did, if you read the Gospels, whenever he wanted to say something to get Peter's attention. He referred to him as Simon, son of John, Simon. And I, you know, so Jesus is, is really laying it on thick here. Three, the same question three times, calling him Simon, son of John. But he needs Peter to understand this. Why? Why is this essential for Peter? Why is this important for us in this room today? Matthew Henry, uh, in his commentary on this, says that John, or that um, Peter, Jesus asked Peter three times in order to affect the disciples and the people who were there listening, but that John records it three times so that it might actually affect us. It's like he's saying, Peter, this is something you can't miss. You cannot miss this, my friend. Absolutely not. Because you are going to need this for the kind of thing that I've called you to, the kind of ministry I'm about to give you to. You're going to need it to be obedient to me to the very end of your life. Peter, this is where everything starts, and this is where everything ends. I am where everything starts. I am where everything in your life ends. And I need to drive this deep into your heart. Peter, I need to drive this deep in. What I'm calling you to is not going to be easy, I think is what Jesus is saying without saying. And you can't miss the point. Do you? Do you love me? And I think what, what Jesus is, is 
doing is calling Peter to something that Tozer, if you ever read A.W. Tozer, describes as setting the inward gaze of our hearts on Jesus. This is how we live out the life of faith. This is how we live out the Christian life. This is how we are disciples who, now cheekily, I'm going to tell you right now, I have a whole series on this, which I call Love, Follow, Feed, which I would say to me is the essence of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We, We love Jesus, we follow him in obedience, and we feed, so that's what that means. But but it starts in love. It starts, it starts in love. It starts with the inward gaze of our hearts set on Jesus. This is how Peter goes from denying Christ to becoming the gospel-proclaiming evangelist of Pentecost. Because his heart and his affections have been set in the right place. He has something that galvanizes and compels his heart. The love of Christ compels him. It says here uh, also that when Jesus asked Peter this, he was sad that, that Jesus had asked him this. And, and I, I'm sure this probably hits a nerve for Peter. You know, he denied Jesus three times, and I'm sure his mind is going back there. But I, I just want to say that I think oftentimes, and this is just my personal theory, so sorry if I offend you. I think often when we, we look at this narrative, we, we talk about, oh, Peter denied Jesus, and the focus goes there. It gets overshadowed by that. But I think the bigger story is actually the recommissioning of Peter. Not so much about the denial, because within that cultural context, to share a meal with someone, to build a fire on a beach, and to share food with people is drawing them back into community. He pulls Peter aside then and has this conversation. This is Jesus moving toward Peter in love. And, and a lot of you in this room come from, from cultures or families in which sharing a meal means something more than just eating food together. It's significant. It represents more than just what is on your table. I think in this setting, Jesus is saying, Peter, you belong. You are still in this family. That hasn't changed. It's a visual demonstration of the gospel in which a God of mercy and grace moves towards broken people in their greatest moments of failure. It's a reaffirmation of Jesus' love for Peter and a reaffirmation of of commitment that he has to Peter on the heels of his greatest failure. And it's likely that most of us in our life are going to have a situation like this where we wish God would just erase that from the story that is our lives. But Jesus' question to Peter never is, Hey, Peter, why did you fail me? It's why did you love me? Or do you love me? Peter, keep your eyes here. Love me. We can't afford to let our heart love lesser loves. This is the fountain, you guys, from which everything else in the Christian life flows. Everything else in the Christian life flows from this. Love for our Savior Love for the person of Jesus. This is the sweet stream that I hope we drink from every day or that we'll learn to drink from every day. Our first love. He's always greater than all things. Loving Jesus before all other things, more than all other things, and above all other things, that is the starting place of the Christian life. That is the place we start. That is the place we have to start. Because everything, again, flows out of that place. And I would say, if you're here this morning and maybe you're just exploring faith, what does it mean to be a Christian? 
Maybe something I would offer to you is maybe try to pray. Just talk to God. It's just talking to God. Um, and maybe ask him, hey, would you help me understand more about who Jesus is? And if this is really true, I want that kind of love for him. If you're here this morning and maybe you already follow Jesus, then my prayer for you as we start the new year is you would ask God, how can I grow in my love for Jesus? And Lord, my, what are those things in my life that maybe I am tempted to love more than him? That would be my prayer for you. Um, as I close, maybe the band can, can come up. I, wanna, I want to go to uh, the last few verses because I, I, I just think this is really, really interesting and, and maybe highlights a bit of what Jesus is doing here. Um, in verse 19, or in verse 18, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were young, younger, Peter, you dressed yourself um, and went where you wanted but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Um, I think this is really curious because so when Jesus says this to Peter, um, there's a few things here. You know, he's, he's basically telling Peter this is what's going to happen. And when he says they will stretch out your hands, it's a euphemism for crucifixion. So Jesus is giving Peter a heads up right now, 30 years between that will, when that will happen from this point. But he's telling Peter, this, this is what lays ahead of you. You're going to, to end your life, Peter, um, in the same way that I did, actually. Someone will stretch out your hands. They will tie you up. They will take you where you do not want to go. Um, and it says, now Jesus said this to indicate what, by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And isn't that amazing? Even though he's telling him something that must have been so hard to hear, he was like, don't worry, Peter. In the same way it glorified me, you will, this will also bring glory to me, even though we go the same way. And according to church tradition, and this is not totally confirmed, but um, the story is that when Peter actually went to be crucified, he, he asked to be hung upside down on the cross because he didn't feel worthy to die in the same way that Jesus did. And whether he did or not, that was the end he met, the same end that his master met. For 30 years, you guys, Peter walked faithfully with Jesus. He was obedient to the very end. And that is not an easy thing to do. If you've been a Christian for five minutes, you have already maybe clocked that that is not easy to do. But the reason that Peter can do it and the reason we can do it is not because we're superhuman, it's because we have the Holy Spirit, and if we start in the place that Jesus took Peter to of love, then we can walk this life with him. This is what discipleship is, loving Jesus as first priority in our lives. Does it mean it's going to be easy? Does it mean the answers are going to be easy? Does it mean things aren't going to come at you? But that is the anchor that we need to put into the ground of our lives. So let me pray for us. Oh, Jesus. I'm so humbled because I stand up here and I talk about you and it's exciting. But man, I know as soon as I get out of the room, the rubber meets the road again. Help me, Lord, help all of us by the power of your spirit to walk daily with you. Not in our own strength because we don't have it. We're completely incapable. We need you. Help us to walk with you, Jesus. And help that come from our love for you, knowing we are deeply loved also by you. 
Help us, Jesus, to love you above all other things, before all other things, and ultimately more than all other things. In Jesus' name, amen.